Join me, if you will, in prayer. Jesus, you are worthy. And this morning, as we engage the passage in Luke, uh, Father, remind us of these songs that we just sang about your son. As Luke puts Jesus on display today, may we be overwhelmed by him. And as our hearts overflow with gratitude for Jesus, may it grow into deep and abiding love for him, a desire to be obedient to his call to come, follow me, and an eagerness to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Father, open our ears and our hearts this morning to hear what you have to say. Father, use me to say what you intend to say to us as a body today. This is part of how you tend to your flock, how you care for us. To seat us once a week in front of your word and to have us listen to what you have to say. So may your word be fruitful in our hearts and minds today. May it change our lives. And may it cause us to look more and more day by day like your glorious, wonderful, worthy son. Amen. So... I have some bad news for you this morning, and uh, that's, that's not what I'm crying about, but bad news is that in the wee hours of the morning when I got up to look through my notes, I discovered I had 28 pages of notes. <laughs> that's really bad news, guys. Big Non just fell over somewhere. Um, the good news is that I went through my own notes and redacted many of them. So we'll see where that lands us. So if you see me flipping a bunch of pages, uh, it's because the text is in brown, and that tells me, skip over this. Last week, Matt did a wonderful job of walking us through Luke 8, verses 23, uh, or 22 through 25. I see me skipping pages. Sorry, Matt, I would have said a lot. But Matt reminded us that Jesus is sovereign. Not only was his sovereignty seen in his authority over nature as he calmed the storm, 
but it was seen in a quieter, more subtle way in its expressed will to cross over the Sea of Galilee and go to the other side. Crossing over to the other side was Jesus' will. He stated it, and that's exactly what happened. They climbed into a boat and began sailing uh, as evening was setting and crossed over to the far shore. When he said, let's cross over, he was not making a willy-nilly choice, but he had a purpose, he had a mission. And I think today's text will help us see exactly what that purpose and what that mission was. So, bear with me, or join with me, that would be even better, as I read uh, through the text. And I'll be reading today, normally I read from NASB, but I'm going to read from the ESV just to switch it up. And today's text is in chapter 8, it's verses 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he, the man, had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they, the demons, begged him, Jesus, not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of swine, of pigs, was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake, and there they drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, Jesus, to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. 
So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And the man went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. May God bless the reading of his word. So when Jesus declared his intent to cross over the Sea of Galilee to the other side, he was referring to crossing over to the ancient land of Manasseh. Manasseh was the son of Joseph, okay? And Manasseh was also one of the 12 tribes. And as most of you know, the 12 tribes were each allotted land in Canaan, in the new, um, in the new land. And where they were crossing over was to what had previously been the land of the tribe of Manasseh. Now, at the time of Jesus, the region was part of the Tetrarchy of Philip. And this is the same Philip that beheaded John the Baptist. While we'll not make much of it today uh, from this passage, because there are many things in this passage that time simply won't permit us today to go into, it's important to realize that where Jesus was going was part of the kingdom of Israel, part of the land that David had ruled. Now it was occupied territory. It had long ago fallen away from God, and the enemy probably considered it conquered territory, taken from the Almighty God and the people of God. Jesus certainly knew these things as he directed those in the boat to go to the other side. Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne of King David. This occupied land was part of his sovereign domain. Jesus was the rightful king of that place. It was that place that did not recognize his claim. When Jesus stepped from the boat onto this country of the Gerasenes, he was the king stepping onto his land. Three of the Gospels, Luke, Mark, and Matthew, record the events that we will examine today. Luke tells us that when Jesus stepped onto the land, he was greeted by a very unusual man. Let's examine what the text tells us about this man. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Mark, in his text, suggests that Jesus may have stepped out onto land in the night, because Mark says that their voyage uh, began in the evening. 
It certainly would have taken some time to cross the sea and to weather a storm. So whether it was night or in the wee hours of the morning, Jesus was met by an inhabitant of that land as he stepped out onto the shore. And the man was not your average citizen wandering around in the dark hours of night. No, the text tells us this man was different. He was not alone. He had company. Within him were many demons. Some of us may like horror stories. I do not. This man's life, however, was a true horror story. Hollywood seems drawn to make movies about demons, and for some of us, that's, that's what we know or think we know about demons, what Hollywood has taught us. And this morning is not a time to delve into Scripture and to examine the unseen world, the world of demons and the world of unclean spirits. That's not our task this morning. Suffice it to say at this point simply that the effects that demon possession had on this man and how the demons interacted with Jesus is enough for us to know from the text today. So what does the text tell us about this demon-possessed man? Well, first, that he had demons. Also, that for a long time he had worn no clothes. So he was wandering about unclothed, and uh, we can only imagine uh, some of us have had nightmares about being somewhere and discovering we weren't appropriately dressed. Uh, it's, it's a deep-seated concern uh, for us, and yet this man, his dignity had been stripped away by these demons, and he wandered about in his shame and his nakedness for all to see. He no longer lived in a house. He lived among the dead in the tombs. And if we think about that for a moment, uh, Few of us are attracted to things that are dead, things that are decaying. Um, the last place that we would want to dwell is among dead and decaying bodies. And yet this man, because of the influence of the demons, that was now his home. The text tells us that the unclean spirit often seized him, meaning that whatever control, whatever ability this man had to determine his, his own behavior was occasionally completely overwhelmed by the unclean spirit. He was seized by the spirit, and he was driven into the wilderness areas, into the desert uh, during these times. He was strong, when under control of the unclean spirit, chains and shackles had been unable to constrain him. He would break them and flee. 
when the unclean spirit would drive him into the desert, into isolation, um, it moved him further and further away from the help and comfort and love of others. He was isolated by these spirits. And when Jesus asked him what his name was, legion was the answer, for many demons had entered him. Assuming Jesus was still addressing the man in this text, it would indicate that the man was aware that he was possessed, something that we may not often consider, um, that part of his torment was knowing that he was possessed by these demons and that they controlled his life. So a careful reading of the text will lead you to understand that some of the time Jesus was talking to this man and some of the time he was addressing the unclean spirit in this man or the demons within this man. So what does the text tell us about the demons inside the man? Well, first of all, they knew Jesus when they saw him. Not only did they know of him, they knew his name. And not only did they know his name, they knew that he was the son of the most high God, that Jesus wasn't flesh and blood, merely human, but he was the son of the most high God. They knew who they were addressing. They also knew that Jesus had them in his crosshairs. What have you to do with us, Jesus? They knew Jesus had the power to seal their fate, to punish them, because they begged, I beg you, do not torment me. Now the text speaks of an unclean spirit, and the text also speaks of many demons. It was the unclean spirit that Jesus commanded to come out of the man. And it was the unclean spirit that answered legion to Jesus' question. And I wonder if in the answer that was given, legion, a Roman legion was 6,000 troops. And so that name had been applied to this man because of the multitude of demons that had entered him, whether they were all present in this moment or whether they came and went, I don't know exactly. There may be clues in the text as to how many demons were in him. But I think that in that response by the unclean spirit, we see the pride, arrogance, and perhaps even the boasting of the unclean spirit and how completely this man had become a host for demons. In any case, this man was completely infested, parasitic, evil, living spirits had consumed this man's life. 
denying him of dignity, of family, of friends, of comfort, and of hope. So, do you have a little bit of a picture in your mind of this man? Can you feel his pitiful state? Can you imagine his helplessness in the hands of these demons? Now, what I'm about to say may surprise you, might even offend you. And it's this, that apart from the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in your life, the life of this man is barely distinguishable from your life and my life. Let me say that again. Apart from the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in your life and my life, our lives are barely distinguishable from the life of this man. If that statement offends you, I am sorry. But if you're offended, it means God's word has not fully penetrated your heart, convincing you of exactly who you are and who he is. If you're offended by the idea that you look more like this man of the tombs, this demoniac, than not, it's because you've not come to fully see the filth and shame of your own sin. You do not realize that sin had created an unbridgeable gulf between you and God. You have not come to realize that death held you captive and it was inescapable, just like this man, unless Jesus came along and set you free. So you may ask, Tom, how can you say these things about us? Well, here are a few verses that tell us a little bit about ourselves apart from Christ. Romans. Chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. None is righteous. Nope, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's talking about us apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and in your sins 
in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, these verses tell me who I am apart from Christ. Without Christ, I'm unrighteous. I'm without understanding. I'm worthless. I'm a liar. I don't seek to do good. I'm deceived, and I deceive others. My words are poison, full of hate and death. I'm angry. I'm hostile, I'm, and I'm dangerous. I'm violent apart from Christ. I bring ruin and misery to myself and to others. There's no peace in me. I do not fear God. I'm dead. I'm following the course of Satan, the ruler of this age. Apart from Christ, I live in the passions of my flesh. I carry out the desires of my body and my imagination. I am not obedient to the word of God. By my very nature, I am a child of wrath. I love darkness rather than light. I do wicked things, and I avoid the light so that my wicked deeds will not be revealed. My mind is set on the things of the flesh. I am hostile to God, rebellious to his law. Nothing I do and nothing I can do does God find pleasing. That is who I am, and that is who you are apart from Christ. So tell me, given what Scripture says about who we are apart from Christ, tell me, 
just how different we really are from this poor, wretched, demon-possessed man. Without Christ, you and me, the demoniac, each ends up living among the dead, alienated from love and comfort, without hope, inconsolable, wretched, outcast, and hated. And that, my friends, apart from Christ, will be our situation for all eternity. Perhaps you say, but I'm nothing like this man. I have no demon living in me. Perhaps not. But who is living in you? Apart from Christ, there's only a dead soul dwelling within you. It's a soul that is spiritually dead. It is lost. It does not seek to be found. It does not search for God. It is a soul focused on self. It is fleshly, only attracted to and desires for its own insistent appetites. It is a soul that is constantly craving, yet never satisfied. It is a soul hungry for forgiveness, love, peace, hope, life, security, purpose, but it always falls short of attaining these things. It is, it is a lonely soul that can only find fleeting moments of union with other souls before sin erects yet another dividing wall, leaving it abandoned, isolated, and lonely. In our sinful state, separated from the God who made us, that is what we are, lost souls, dead in our trespasses and sins. Apart from Christ, you may not have a demon exerting its will over you, but in light of Scripture, I think that is scant consolation and comfort. So the first thing Jesus did for this demoniac was to liberate him from the demon horde who made his every moment a living hell. Do you recall what Jesus said way back in chapter 4 of Luke? It was a while back. Let me remind you. He was in his hometown of Nazareth, and he was speaking in the synagogue he was handed a scroll, and the scroll contained Isaiah 61. And from Isaiah 61, this is what Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And when Jesus had read these words to that synagogue in Nazareth, he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That was way back in chapter 4, and here we are months later in chapter 8. And what we see happening is a fulfillment in this man's life of Isaiah. This man was a captive, and he was oppressed. But with a command, Jesus gave him liberty as he set him free from the demons that tormented him. The multitude of demons that had possessed this man were irresistibly commanded to dispossess this man. They were unable to disobey the one they had rightly called the Son of the Most High God. In their desperation, they begged Jesus to be allowed to enter a nearby herd of swine instead of being sent to the abyss to await their fate. And Jesus permitted their request. And the demons did the only thing they ever do in the end. They brought about destruction, ruin, and death. As they entered the herd of pigs, about 2,000 of them rushed into the lake and drowned. So can you picture the scene in your mind? Have you ever witnessed anything this dramatic? What do you think happened next? If you had been a citizen of this place and had just seen this event unfold, what do you think you would have done? Well, the text tells us what happened next. It says in verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Those who had watched the demons come out of this man communicated to those who had come to see what was going on, exactly what had happened, that Jesus had commanded these demons to come out of man. The demons came out. The demons went into the herd of swine, and the herd of swine went mad and committed mass suicide. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now, if I were a herdsman and had just lost 2,000 pigs, I'd probably run and tell somebody too. 
which is just exactly what these herdsmen did. And when the people came running to see the destruction of the herd, they also saw the crazy men of the tombs, seated, dressed, and in his right mind, talking to Jesus. And those who had witnessed this demon-possessed man being set free of his oppressing demons told the people who had come running exactly what had happened. The response of the people, having been told of the things done by Jesus and seeing the results with their own eyes, did what to me seems improbable. They asked him to leave. And Jesus, having done exactly what he set out to do, after accomplishing precisely what he intended, he got into the boat to leave. Now, there's much we can say about the response of the people. For now, let us just say that sinners do not run to God on their own. Their response, the people of this land, their response is a natural response of the flesh to the presence of God. Unless something supernatural happens to the natural man, his response will always be to reject God. And if you have in your life run to God, it was not your flesh that got you there. It was God overcoming your flesh and drawing you to himself. Now, the response of these people is tragic, but it's understandable in light of Scripture. And if we were there and God was not at work in us, what we see these people do is exactly what we also would have done. Now, our story doesn't end there. The text tells us that the man from whom the demons had gone begged Jesus to take him with him. Of course he did. Think of what has happened to this man and think of what he has seen in Jesus, the power, the authority, the love, the care. Of course he wanted to go with Jesus. Given all this man had lived through, can we imagine that he would want to do anything other than to cling to his liberator, Jesus. But amazingly, Jesus sent him away. In sending him away, Jesus did not reject the man. He sent him away on mission. Jesus told this man to return to his home and declare how much God has done for you. And this man did go away. And the text says that he went away declaring how much Jesus had done for him. Instead of telling people how much God had done for him, 
This man went away telling how much Jesus had done for him, and then getting it wrong, he got it oh so very right. This man from whom demons had once declared the sovereignty of Jesus out of fear, he now, with his own mouth, affirmed and proclaimed the deity of Jesus out of love and out of gratitude. So, what is your story today? Everybody sitting in here has a story. Has Jesus made you right-minded? Do you sit at his feet learning from him? Do you tell people what Jesus has done for you wherever you go? Or perhaps you rarely tell people about Jesus. If that's so, then I encourage you to spend more time in your Bible. There you will discover exactly who you are and what God in Jesus has done for you. Your reluctance will diminish as your appreciation for how sinful you are and how holy God is grows. Today, here in May of 2021, the man of the tombs is alive and living in the presence of Jesus. He's not a concocted story to amuse us. The demoniac in the story, like you and me, is a living soul. Though his body eventually perished, he did not. He is alive and he is joyful today, living in the presence of Jesus. You, each and every one of you, sitting in this room this morning, today, your flesh will die, but you will not. You are eternal beings. You will live forever. The question that confronts us is this. In whose presence will you be and will I be 10,000 years from this day? From the bottom of my heart, I plead with you to make certain that your answer is Jesus. The 10,000 years from today, you will be in the presence of Jesus. And if Jesus has liberated you, if he set you free from the bondage of sin and the fear of death, can there possibly be a good reason for you to keep silent about him? If Jesus has saved you, he saved you from an eternity 
that makes the demoniac's life look like a walk in the park. Perhaps today is a good day to end your silence and to joyfully proclaim all that Jesus has done for you to the glory of God. Set your light on a hill and let it shine brightly in this world of darkness and death. And may your life be a beacon to those who walk among the tombs. Will you have mercy on the captives? Will you open your mouth and proclaim the gospel of life to them? I encourage you to do as this once hopeless man that we read about here today in Luke chapter 8, who is now our brother in Christ. Do as this man did. Go and tell the lost what Jesus has done for you. Amen.